Welcome to Casually Hardcore's wrap-up show for PAX Prime 2013. This is day three. I'm Grail. I'm Dexa. And I'm Andre. All right, we are back with uh, content from day three of PAX, which some of us spent a lot of time at one particular content. Maybe. <laughs> maybe possibly. Possibly it could have been uh, maybe League of Legends. Right. But, uh... Some of us got sucked into a game within the the meta game of PAX. Yeah. And others of us kind of broke our feet walking the exhibition floor nonstop for about eight hours. So we're going to get into all of that today on Day 3 Wrap-Up for PAX Prime 2013. Let us think, where did our day start? Our day started with a board game, though. Uh, did it start with the Q&A? Oh, well, that's true. We did do the Q&A, which should already be posted. Um, you can see that that's the Q&A with Mike and Jerry, better known as Gabe and Tycho, mm -hmm. uh, founders, creators, everything of Penny Arcade, which you know spawns both Web Comet and obviously the convention that we're at. Uh, we started by uh, doing a Q&A session with them, which we've posted in the, its entirety, uh, and it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. What did you guys think? It was a lot of fun, but it's funny every year. It's really, every year we say this, but every year it's interesting to know that um, it's for media to go and have kind of their personal time with. I mean, we get so very few things that are just for media, and this is one of them, and there's hardly ever any people there. There's like 10 people there every year, hardly any media, and I know there's a lot more media there than that. So it's kind of interesting how they don't show up, and this is their one time to actually talk to the people who put this whole thing together. Yeah. So I always find that strange. It is really weird. What did you think for your first time being there, though? I was really kind of nice to get a more personal view on you know the guys from Penny Arcade. You know, they're just real people, and they, I mean, they could be any one of us or just gamer enthusiasts. So uh, it was. It was really cool. They're very funny people, and they're just really brilliant in general. It's my my take after them. They're just really, really brilliant people. So it was good. I yeah. had a great time. It always ends up being, to me, my favorite part of the con, at least favorite event to go to. Um, I loved Acquisitions, Inc. Yes. That was great. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, some of the panels are great, but that one is always my favorite just because it's very – Intimate. I mean, this is the first year I think I've gone to one of those where they actually use the microphones. Yeah. Usually they don't even use microphones. It's just them kind of talking to us. and Because there's and not enough it. people to actually right, right. warrant a microphone. And really, there wasn't a ton of people. And, and But what's funny is even during that Q&A session, and you'll hear on the, uh, uh, the podcast that we are going to put up of it where they call out some people saying, hey, you haven't answered, asked anything. Are you actually media? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> They expect, you know, they go until we don't have questions any longer. Exactly. Um, and so in this case, we actually were able to get to the point where they had to leave to get to their next event. So it was nice. But I definitely would recommend, give it a listen. Uh, if you ever have questions that you'd like to have us ask, you know, send that to us. We are always are looking for more questions. There's always ample opportunity to get any questions out that you that, uh, may need to come up. And it was good. Yeah. So after that, we then wandered over to the exhibition hall and sat down and played a game of Star Trek Catan. Yes. That was really cool. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And we uh, both Grail and I have never played 
um, the settlers of Catan. And so we were, you know, we basically sat down. We said, we've never done this. The guy was like, no problem. If you can play this, uh, then you can obviously play Settlers of Catan. There's very few variances. So we said, okay, let's just get right to it. And the game was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it more. And it's it was really cool because it's not there's not really combat at all. And there's no, no like, it's not like, it, it's just a very different way of playing a board game, but completely enjoyable. Yeah, and it did a good job of going between being competitive and cooperative because you're trading with each other, but you are trying to win the game. So you had that. There were some cards that, like, Aurora. Oh, man, she's ruthless. Aurora? You want Aurora to go, oh, is yeah. ruthless. Yeah. You want to go first in that game. Yeah. But wasn't yeah. Spock pretty ruthless, too? Spock was good. He was good, but Aurora made you trade, like, forced trades. Yeah. Which was just brutal at times. So it, it, the one diff, one of the main differences between the Settlers of Catan and, and the Star Trek version of it is the fact that you actually have, like, hero cards. And so you have a lot of the main characters from Star Trek. We're talking the original series and probably some of the movies later on, but with the original cast. And you can play one of the characters, in this case we'll talk about Ahura, uh, twice. And so you have her card, her ability is that if people have resources you want, you can force a trade of those resources. And then if you, you flip her card over, if you want to then play her again, you can do so. But when you do so, you have to discard her and then grab another character, which means now Ahura is in play for somebody else. So it was a balance between whether or not you want to take characters' abilities and keep them and maybe or play them often and then have to give it back to your opponent who can then just turn them and use them on you. So it was a very good balance, and it kind of was cool to have a little nostalgic feeling of having these Star Trek iconic characters in yeah. your hand and helping you out. So uh, overall, just a, a blast of a game. Yeah, um, and, and having us always go, like, where's the dilithium? Yeah. My God, where's the dilithium? <laughs> so there's some strategies just, learn, just playing it once, and I'm sure Settlers Catan have their own like places on the board where they want to start their uh, settlements and then cities. So Star Trek's no different from that. It's a very good game. I would recommend checking it out. I think he said you can exclusively buy it at Target. Right now, it's only available at Target, the actual main game. Uh, they have an expansion, and we actually played the map from the expansion, right. which is uh, Frontiers. And that one's a little different than the main Catan uh, uh, board, where normally you would have these hexa, hexagonal uh, pieces. That's probably not even a word. Yeah. Okay, drinking light has been on. Oh, yes, right. by the way, the drinking light is on, and but we don't less. have drop-ins. So, so. You, you, uh, you make your board, though, out of these pieces. Mm -hmm. In Frontiers, you actually have a set map that you play on, and it has set uh, areas for your star bases, which, as I recall from Catan, is equivalent to a settler. Right, you have, uh, well, you have an outpost. Or outpost. Which is a settlement, right. and then you can build upon the outpost, which becomes, or an outpost becomes a star base, in which case that becomes a city. So it's, I mean, essentially you play this game, you can play Catan. So, um, no, it was a lot of fun and the expansion is great because that, it's just nice to have that flip open board. Like most board games, you just flip it open, you right. start playing, you close it up. You don't have to worry about building the board and stuff. But I mean, if you do that for Catan anyways and you like it, then by all means do that. But I, I if I were to pick it up, I probably would at some point in the future. Um, I'll have the fold out board. Yeah. It comes with it. And then if the how we brought it up is that if you have the building board, then you can always build it however you want to. So every game is different. Or at some point, you're going to get the... You're going to like... It's like tic-tac-toe. You'll know the best places to go first. If you get to go first, where to place your 
outposts on the board and eventually that becomes like, oh, he went first, this person went second, they're gonna definitely win because they've got position on the board. So I think to learn on it, it'd be great to have the board or for yeah. travel's sake, but maybe in the future, it'd be nice to variate the game. Yeah, I think I think both are definitely viable ways to play. And again, the way Catan works, that you get your resources based on die rolls. So I don't know if there is a, a great place to start, but it, maybe it is better. Well, because you know in the beginning you need like die lift. Yeah, try yeah. To, yeah. You, I mean, if I had to do it over again, I'm making sure that I'm going to put multiple outposts around the planets. On di yeah. 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 So in, and that, the uh, Tritanium. And Tritanium, because yeah. so, that's build starship. So there are preferred resources and you'd want to harvest those as fast as early, possible. Early. And then you move into water and oxygen yeah. being your main. So it was, overall, it was great. It was something I think, you know, I'll definitely end up picking up because I think it's a fun game and it was really easy uh, with lots of depth. And this is something we uh, talked about throughout the con. It also really helped that we had somebody teaching us that was super enthusiastic about it. Oh my gosh, yes. Very friendly and made the game fun. Mm -hmm. That helps a ton and we had some experiences like I would say our experience with uh, Lords of Waterdeep while it was a good game and had a lot of depth didn't have that same level of enthusiasm or at least fun from the guy running it and that kind of puts a little more darker cloud on that game yeah I mean for sure it's a first impression yeah oh absolutely so my, my first impression with Catan is going to be a little, but you know I don't know we also caught that guy like near the very end of sure. the night and so sure. he's probably not, exhausted right right I'm not I'm not slamming him specifically yeah I think yeah he was at this was the last game of the night it was 11 o'clock at night I, he's probably been running it all day I understand why he was probably not in the best mood but at the same time but if he would have been more enthusiastic I might be more enthusiastic about that game absolutely so yeah it's it's a balance but Anyways, mm -hmm. we then left there, and I believe at this point we went up to the, the sixth floor indie hall, which is where a lot of the very new or up and coming uh, developers are set up. It's also where the PAX 10 is set up, so we do get to see the 10 uh, indie games that were picked as the best of the best uh, have a booth there. Now, we also ran into a huge group of Australians mm -hmm. who were there from a gaming school that they go to. And each, each little team had their own game they were showing. And interestingly enough, they were still in school, and part of their curriculum was to actually go build, build a game and then go to a major uh, convention and show off the game and try to generate interest in it. And that was really, really cool. Just that piece of it was really, really cool to see. Right. Now, I didn't get to meet those people, but you said that their games, obviously their games were um, fairly simple. Most had only about six weeks to work on. Because they had very little time to work right. on it. And it was, again, part of a school project. So, yeah. I mean, if that's part of your school project, that's huge to be able to go to a convention center as big as PAX. Yeah. And then present. And act as an uh, exhibitor. Act as an exhibitor. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good part of the learning process. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of cool to see that that is the direction that you're, you're seeing a focus in game development. Like you're seeing more professional programs in universities in game development and programming and mm -hmm. presenting and the yeah. whole business. Like basically getting game off the ground. And even if it's just a simple mobile game, uh, what it all it takes, it's really cool to see and it's exciting for the future of what we're going to see maybe more in the, yeah. down the road. And it really pushed the show that there's not just learn One how to make great great graphics or learn how to pro code 
you know, a, a piece of a game. It was really to show you everything. You have so to have a PR person yeah. and, a, and a marketing person right. because most of the, the indie games that I looked at was because one person grabbed me from the aisle and said, you've got to see my yeah. game. This is my this is the game that this person is making. That's the only reason that I saw some of these indie games. But so, with, with these small studios, you yeah. have to be, you have to put on multiple hats. Absolutely. You have to be the PR person. So it really got these guys who, maybe their whole world was like, I just want to create the code for this game. But guess what? If you're only a two-man team, somebody has to get out there and actually sell it. That's right. So it gave them that experience. And I thought that was really, really impressive. I saw two of the games there, and I know one of them was Little Grim Reaper, which graphically was really cool. It was a platformer game. You played a little Grim Reaper, you're, you are an assistant to the Grim Reaper, and your whole goal was to recollect these souls that you accidentally let out. And it was cute. You were really a small dude because you're running around like a chair and a dining room table, and they look massive to you. Interesting. Yeah, and I didn't get to see them, but that, that looks like an interesting game. No, it was very cool, and they were very nice, and it was a good program. When unfortunately upstairs at the where they had the PAX 10, I didn't spend a lot of time there. I did a quick run through because I was going to do a quick run through and then go back to the ones I really wanted to play. But then I ran into Atlas, who's you know the guy who puts on the Triwizard Tournament, and got talking to him. And I could talk to Atlas for hours. Like we could just sit down and talk. He is so great to talk to. Um, so I kind of got a little distracted right. up there. I think the only thing I played up there was that face puncher or fist puncher. Fist puncher. <laughs> it was a adult swim game. Yeah. Which was really cool because it was a total throwback to like Final Fight or Streets of Rage. Yeah. Or it was just a side-scrolling 8-bit beat-em-up and, you know, you punch people with your fist. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I mean, I had we played it for quite a while. It was it fun. It was fun because they had a lot of different characters. I mean... Even, like, the robot unicorn was a character yes. in the game. I mean, it was just completely over the top. So, that was a lot of fun. We There were some other games up there. Uh, a new version on Killing Floor, uh, Calamity, which was a top-down shooter uh, version, which is meant for mobile devices of Killing Floor. I know our son, Aridin, he's been playing... He played Killing Floor for a good stretch there, a couple months. Mm -hmm. uh, so, that was really cool to see. I'm trying to think what else was up there that really caught my eye. There's a, a, a card board game called Sentinels of the Multiverse that we've oh, heard about. Oh, yes. I, I never got to play it. I there for a little bit to see it, but apparently you act as a superhero and it's a co-op game and you, you fight villains, obviously. So it looked cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of board or card games that... I would have liked to have tried, but even four days is not enough to try everything. Yeah, and you get burnt out a little bit. I mean, I, the only other thing I did up there is I had a staring contest with a girl so she could win a shirt, but she didn't. She couldn't stare at me for longer than eight seconds, so, <laughs> she, so she didn't win her shirt. But um, that was pretty much it. But I saw a lot of really cool games. I just didn't have a chance to actually sit down and play all the really cool games. Yeah, and then we had the, uh, the foot input Oh, the stinky board. Stinky or something? Like stinky. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically a, um, a a board. I mean, basically a foot pedal. Or it's like a. It's not a foot board. It's, it's like almost a, like a skateboard. It's and it, it make a mini skateboard in size. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's like basically having like a small snowshoe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have like, um, and it, it, it actually can have pivot. So you have like you know front, back, left, right. And you even actually have some angles. And essentially what they've done is they've taken this this footrest 
and allow you to put inputs into the computer. So we were demoing, I think, Battlefield 3. Yeah. And essentially, like, they had a pre-program that if you pressed up on the board, you'd sprint. Or if you hit back on the board, you'd crouch. Or left or right. Is that That's... what up did? Yeah. I had no idea what up did other than it stood me up when I was, or I was crouched or prone. Yeah, I think it so, gets you up. I mean... Maybe it was sprint. I have but no it, idea. <laughs> we could have played on different boards. So right, we, right. We don't know if they have someone customized. But anyways, you, so the, if you don't have, like, a mouse with, like, 14 buttons on it that does all these different inputs... And you don't like holding the control button. This is a, a natural extension of basically another input into any game that you have. And to be honest, it's kind of a... I never even thought about it until I saw it. I'm like, that's a, such a clever idea. To, why don't you use your feet? I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, we do that for flight games right. where you can actually have pedals and stuff and actually make for the game... Rudders realistic. or... Rudders. Mm -hmm. So why not do that for other things? So they've done a really good job and the construction was quite solid. I mean, I picked it up and, I was, and, I was, and the, the lady was showing it to me. I'm like... Yeah, this is going to be durable. Right. So it's a good product, and it's kind of cool. It just took a while for me to get used to. I mean, I was fighting, and I would like try to. I was getting up at a guy, and I would catch up to him. I was about to shoot him point blank, and I pull out my knife. Well, I'm yeah. just out of knife distance, and I'm like, that's not what I wanted to do. So I realized I have kind of happy feet when I play first-person shooters, <laughs> which is not good using this device. But it's just a matter of training your legs, and I'm sure it'll be very beneficial. But you know, I, I overcome this by actually having a, a multi-button mouse, but now you know people don't have that. This is another option, and and, and I think Grail found it more comfortable than I did. But I yeah. I see the potential for sure. It it once I got my foot centered on it, it really made sense to me. I was not uh, proficient at using the knife motion, so that was to the left. But like crouching and going prone, I was able to do that uh, to do that pretty well. The thing I saw that would be the biggest uh, benefit to me would be to use it as a shift or alt or control. Like holding that position and then allowing that to modify my other buttons would be great. Especially for League of Legends, you use uh, alt and control to ping the map. And when you do it, you can also like pick like different icons. Right now, when I ping the map in, in uh, lull, the only thing I do is just hit control, hit, hit the left mouse button and just ping. I don't actually pick an icon where having this would make it a little easier. So yeah. I can and definitely this was, do that. This was something that we uh, had a story on because uh, I was really interested in it because right. I believe it was a Kickstarter. That's what got me interested in it. We got an email about it. It being, was something. Wasn't it? Yeah. And it was, a, it was several months ago and I was like, this sounds really cool. Like there'd be times when I just don't want to take my fingers mm -hmm. off, you know, the WS keys. I just want to be able to keep going. And I remember thinking that would be a really cool thing and I'd yeah. wanted to see it. So unfortunately I did not get to see it, but at least you guys got to see it and play with it and see what it was yeah. all about. Like I said, very sturdy, uh, retails for 119. So yeah. definitely an investment, uh, but it may be something in the future, mm -hmm. especially through refinements and such. I think once you get the muscle memory down, it would be a big time help. I know a lot of their studies around the product was about that. The fact that once people got used to it, they just, uh, saw their reaction times improve quite a bit. Yeah, it's the natural. It's really your, you don't have to. When they talk about even driving, mm -hmm. your feet actually are. You already have natural fast reactions with your, your feet. Like right. Mm -hmm. right. So just a matter of now using that twitch memory you might have. We already do have just to do something else. So yeah. that's. It was really cool. I, cool. I, it took me a little bit, but I can, like I said, if I, I see the potential. Yeah. And hopefully people will try it out. Maybe they'll really like it and give some feedback. Yeah. All right. So after that, 
Andre went and watched League of Legends for like five hours. <laughs> Forever. So, apparently, they have a, uh, the the team. It was a championship match, and one of the in the championship map is is TSM. TSM is probably one of the most popular League of Legends teams um, out there. They had a, you know huge following, and their fans showed up because that place was packed. So in order for me to even get into the arena to watch the finals match. I end up standing outside for about an hour and a half waiting in line to get in because there was that many fans already camped for the finals because <laughs> no one hardly ever left after the, uh, the this is the third round match. So uh, briefly, I've gone over this before in the other uh, wrap-ups. It's a great thing to see live. The final is no different. It was best of five. Fantastic. I'm not going to ruin the, the actual winner. Uh, because you might want to watch it live if you haven't seen it. Um, or, you know, you probably when you go on the website, you'll see who the winner is, but I'm not going to spoil it for Yeah, you. by this point, I think everybody, it's it's been over every gaming website. So if you're yeah. interested in it, I'm sure you already know. If you're not interested, you're not interested. it won't matter. Yeah. It <laughs> so, won't matter. Uh, yeah, so Cloud9 won. Yeah. Uh, and they won 3-0, but very exciting matches. And I just really love watching. I mean, I know I'm have very small chance of doing this live because right. they're always based in California. Uh, so it was my time to say, all right, you know, I'm going to sacrifice some of PAX to see something I really love to watch anyways. And um, and I did. And so I had a great time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And when, uh, while Andre was doing that, I took some time to actually stand in line for a, a game. I figured if I was going to stand in line for one game this PAX, it was going to be by Telltale. So I... Waited probably about, uh, it must have been, well, it was about 40 minutes because the game took about, they let you play 20 minutes worth of the first episode of the game. So if you played The Walking Dead and love the story in The Walking Dead and um, want more of it, you definitely have to play The Wolf Among Us because it is really, really solid. The graphics are really cool. Um, It has a little noir feel to them and the story is very solid. It's basically based on a comic book, right? Fables, I believe it's what it's called. So it's basically based on a comic book. And it's um, where all the fables, like, you know, the Big Bad Wolf, the Huntsman, Snow White, and all that, they actually live among us, but they they glamour themselves so they look like everybody else. And the Big Bad Wolf is basically the one who keeps them under control so they don't, you know, kill each other, slaughter each other. Or let on that they're living among us. Right. Um, and it was really good. Everyone who walked out of that booth was saying how amazing that game was. Their Twitter feed was blowing up about how fabulous that game was. So even though there were other games that were big name games around that I didn't get to play, this one was a solid choice to go to. Yeah, I mean, Walking Dead was my game of the year for last year. Absolutely. Because it was so well done, and it, it caused the most emotional reaction from me from a game since probably the first Bioshock. Um, oh, yeah. It, that, it caused yeah. it all the way through the five chapters, so I'm really excited to see what they do with, with this story. With the wolf among us. Yeah. Yes, and it should be out in October, so... Keep an eye out for that one because you'll definitely want to pick it up. Definitely. So while Daxa was in line, (laughs) (laughs) 
I wandered uh, quite a bit of the hall. I got I I found out that Torn Banner was actually on the main floor, and Torn Banner makes chivalry. And anybody that listens to the podcast or the live stream knows I love me some chivalry. There's something about beheading people that just I I played that pretty solid for two or three months. Got away from it, but they had the new version of chivalry, which was uh, Deadliest Warrior. Um, kind of like the History Channel. I, I think that's on the History Channel, like the show where they oh, have yes, the yes. warrior and they yep. compare the people. Um, so in this case, they were demoing two new classes. One was a samurai and one was a Spartan warrior. And I picked samurai. I had my gigantic two, you know, two-handed katana. Maybe I forget the name of the actual sword. That's a two-handed katana. But nonetheless, went in there and was just chopping fools apart. It was a little weird because you could definitely tell it was an alpha state because when I did my little taunt, I still said, you know, Agatha, which I'm pretty sure there wasn't an Agatha samurai <laughs> faction. <laughs> no, there might have been. How do you know? I'm pretty sure there were samurais and Spartans never really fought. But no, that's okay. <laughs> we don't care because there was a lot of bloodshed. Uh, it was really cool. We were in like a Greek uh, Parthenon type area. And, you know, it was still chivalry. It was still two teams going at it. There was no health bars. I mean, it was all about, you know, getting good shots in and parrying. And I thought my skills had deteriorated. But uh, luckily, the people at PAX had never played it. So I was I was good enough. As they say in the uh, uh, Acquisitions, Inc., good enough. Good enough. Absolutely. <laughs> so went by there, went by 2K Games, and... Uh, Played a little bit of the uh, new wrestling game, uh, WWE 2K14, and it was good. It, it didn't deviate much from the stuff that THQ had done, but nonetheless, uh, THQ unfortunately has folded. They had to let go of all their properties. 2K picked up uh, the WWE property. <laughs> they brought Ukes back in to do some of the development. Ukes had done some of the earlier development on the WWE games. So it really felt pretty natural. Uh, the controls were good. The collision detection, which has always been an issue for them, was actually really solid. And it had, you know, it was really focused, just like the last WWE game, on the Attitude Era which is really the only era of wrestling. That was the last era of wrestling that I actually paid attention to. So you're talking about The Rock, the Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels, DX, that type of era. So a lot of heavy focus there. And then even earlier, so you had like Razor Ramon and Macho Man and that type of stuff. Jeez. So it was cool to see that. Uh, and Ted DiBiase kicked my butt, but oh well. Million Dollar Man, what can you do? Yeah. Went through there, uh, went through EverQuest Next and saw their presentation. It was really, really good. We talked about that previously on the podcast. Uh, not anything terribly new, some new videos of the uh, transversing the environment of being able to see people do the parkour type running. Uh, saw Landmark and some of the ability to create environments, which looked really, really sweet. Um, anybody that's into Minecraft or has those type of ideas to create a area of a world, Next, just or landmark, EverQuest landmark actually takes that to the next level. Yeah, I think all those people who created those amazing landscapes in Minecraft, and you were doing it with like basically just little cubes. You play landmark, and you're gonna make some amazing, amazing structures yeah. because you can smooth it out. You can make the cubes smaller. You can make you can round them. It's just. They had a little video of someone, what someone did for 30 minutes. They gave two people 30 minutes to build a landscape, and it was gorgeous. And it was like a ruined yeah, jungle city. Well, they took like a hilly, 
mess of nothing, like yeah. hills and rocks, and turn it into this lush jungle ruin with a staircase going up it and everything. It looked really pretty. It was gorgeous. And the landmark, both landmark and EverQuest next, are going to be free to play. So the the way that they're going to generate their money, other than you know buying the game, is basically um, landmark. You can sell your buildings, your landscape. Uh, whatever it is that you build, you can sell it for real money. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a little chunk of that money. But the cool thing is if you're a really good, you know, dev or an artist or, or someone who's always wanted to do this, this is your shot to get your stuff out there. Yeah. Because not only can you, can someone buy it on your server, they can buy it on every single server. Right. So if you build some amazing landscape and you're selling it for, 40 50 bucks and you sell it for 40 50 bucks across every single server you're making some good money and you're getting your stuff out there and the reason they're doing this is because they also want people to build landscapes for everquest there'll be one continent that's going to be just for um everquest next where they'll they'll ask for lore they'll i think they give you like well, 30 days right yeah well they force you to build but you have to stay within the lore. You have to stay within the uh, parameters, kind of the design style of EverQuest Next. Exactly. So. And and it'll be if they vote it up or down. If enough people vote it up and you did an amazing job and you stayed within their parameters and they feel like it follows their storyline, your stuff is gonna be in EverQuest Next. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. But not only that, they're also gonna have contests for writers. So if you're a writer out there, you can send your storyline and they'll put that in EverQuest next, which I think is really a great shot for all these up and coming people who want to break into the gaming industry, but they just haven't had their shot or people need to, you know, they don't know where to go. Hey, do it for free and then hopefully it gets picked up. If you're that good, they'll pick you up and you'll be in the next um, EverQuest game. Yeah, it's something, it's a topic I'd like to explore probably in, in actual casual hardcore you know maybe this is a preview for next sunday's topic but one of the things was we've seen is a lot of games are now trending towards you create your own con content again uh shadow run returns you basically can make your own missions everquest next you're creating your own environments and actually even designing uh some of the the writing that goes into that uh, we're seeing a lot more of that type of interaction with the fans that allows the fans to contribute both to the game and even possibly, you know, enhance their own career. Yeah, it's it's a very, like, a, a really it's a toolkit. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of toolkits out there um, that publishers have now presented to the public mm -hmm. um, for them to use. And not only for their, like, to not only create content in their game, but just create content for their own game. Like Unreal Engine, you have... Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch. I, I can't think of them all. Oh, but, sure. but there's a bunch of toolkits out there that just saying, oh, you know what? Uh, like Valve, I think he's got their own toolkit is another example. But it's just a cool thing because if you have the aspiration and the creativity, um, but maybe you don't have such the technical savviness, you've got a toolkit out there that the people who have already done the base code, you just basically are going to build upon it, right? A lot of games are already using toolkits to be created anyways. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this is not like it's you know cheating. Right. Um, it's just you have a creative mind, just go for it. So, my impression, I've only played EverQuest a little bit. Right. When it, you know, and actually I was already, you know, out and about, but it was kind of age when I played it, so I never caught on as much. But what I saw the potential, what you could do, was pretty awesome. I know Grail told me it was kind of like the hints of what the real next generation 
a multiplayer, you know, MMO is going to be. And I could see that. I could see like, man, this is an opportunity for someone to really showcase um, their abilities. So good luck. I mean, if it comes out and you are a creative person, there's by all means, this might be a new avenue, a new passion that you find. And it can be lucrative. Right, right. Yeah, I think to me, it's one of those things where I really, really hope this does well. But even if it doesn't, I think it's really setting the bar as to what the next MMO has to uh, attain. And it's kind of like whatever Quest did the first time. Right, right. Absolutely. I'm very excited for both of them. I don't even, I'm not even that great of an artist, but I would love to see what people come up with. Yeah, but you were able to work within Minecraft. Oh, it really yeah. didn't look like it was much different from what Minecraft presented as, in terms of a uh, user interface to build the environment. Yeah, no, no, that's and, true. And it could be just, you know, Minecraft, again, might be like one of those things where this is like, hey, this is actually a great idea. Don't, if they broke, don't fix it. Right. We're just going to optimize or make it a little bit more, you know, maybe more professional well, I, or more. I think I just saw a story today where they said that Minecraft for the PC has sold over $323 million worth of codes for it. So basically. Oh, wow. It's, I, I mean, it's astronomical in terms of how much success this little game has had. And, I mean, I played it for a really long time, and every yeah. so often I'll go back and I'll go, oh, yeah, I have all these homes, and I'll go and I'll build some other yeah. stuff. And, I mean. It just, and then you get sucked in. Right, that's what right. happens. And it you're gonna sucks see the, you in. And I think you're going to see the same thing. I mean, next thing you know, people will be like, oh my God, I've been four hours. And they're going to look at this magnificent place they created and go, wow, that looks great. Yeah. And now they have the ability to actually share with everyone else. Yeah. Right. And I think it'll be great. I think you'll have people also go, I mean, the first thing I'm expecting to see on there is somebody's going to go in and recreate, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Project 1999. They're going to oh, recreate yeah. base EverQuest within EverQuest Next. So you'll have all the old zones and they'll just use this graphic engine to, to create that. Well, and, and one of the awesome. And one of the cool things about EverQuest Next is the fact that it is going to have strata. So it's going to be like a real world. Mm -hmm. You know, cities build on top of cities, build on top of cities, build on top of cities. This has happened since ancient times. Right. We dig, especially, I mean, in Rome, you saw they couldn't, or Greece, they couldn't freaking throw a rock and dig there without yeah. bumping into you know some sort of ruin. Nobody wanted to create new new plots of land because their chances are they were going to hit some sort of archaeological find and be banned from digging anymore. Exactly. So I mean, I think, and they did that actually. Or they're going to do that in EverQuest next. Well, if you fight too much and all that, you know, the area is destructible. So if you're fighting and you're destructing, you're basically destroying the ground below you, you could possibly fall into a cavern that could possibly have some ruins from, you know, original EverQuest. Eight, or even an ancient time before that. Or ancient times before yeah. that, which is so cool. That's yeah. such a really neat idea. They showed a big picture of the timeline and at the end of the timeline, one of the things was like Age of Heroes. Uh -huh. and as I recall, EverQuest was Age of Heroes, so they had all the stuff before that as layers within the world. It's it's a great take. It's one of those things where EVE Online, I've always said to me, is also where uh, MMOs could go. Because to me, that was one of the, it's really clunky in terms of getting into, but it does some amazing things. And I think this one also, I had that same feeling where even if it doesn't work on all levels, I think they're going to put out some amazing things that really shape the uh, world, and then Blizzard will come along, steal them, and make them refine them into something that's really playable. 
Right. That's that's most likely what's going to happen. Yeah. Quest <laughs> might get screwed yet again yes. down yeah. the road, but don't say that they're not pioneers. No, so. they they're they're working hard at it. So, Absolutely. So after uh, Dex got done with uh, the Wolf Among Us, and I got awesome. done listening to all these things, we went over to the indie area and checked out some games. And eventually, Andre came and rejoined us there. We saw a, we all separately, but we all saw the same game, which was Forced Tactical Arena Co-op. Yes, this was a pretty fun game, and you know, it's one of those games I don't know if I normally would have just grabbed and started playing. But in this case, I got grabbed and told, you should really play that. And I said, okay, we'll sit down and play this. It's a, uh, you're a gladiator. You're in, you're basically forced to fight. Uh, you have a little trainer that's with you. And uh, one of the unique mechanics of this game, it's a Diablo style, uh, three, three quarters view, mm-hmm. fight, fight all the, the, the things that are attacking you. And you have different classes, but you have this little spirit mentor and it's a little ball that, helps you and you can move him around you can call him to you and so you use him to both kind of solve puzzles so you use him to like light different like torches and then eventually it opens up an area you use him to grant you healing and it creates this like sphere on the ground that slowly goes in so you have to stand within the the radius of it uh to get your guys healed up but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't think it was going to be that fun. And we only went because this guy, again, you know, you have to really promote your game. This guy grabs you, and it, you've got to look at this game. This is what's going on. And we go and play it. And I didn't want to stop playing to interview the guy. I just wanted to keep playing. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I like, felt bad because he kept talking to me. And I was just like, I can't. I'm, I'm really in a single, you know, no multitasking here. I just want to focus on the game, and I had to keep kind of bouncing back and forth, and that's you know a really good testament to how good the game was. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I didn't have a chance to play because when I got to the booth, uh, the, all the spots were filled, so I actually just got to interview him, and he it was a pretty unique story about how they you know they were basically right. camped out in a university uh, room that was kind of not used for a, a couple semesters or a semester in the summer. And so him and his friends who were coding the game basically squatted there for like seven months. <laughs> they brought microwaves and refrigerators and cots, and they basically lived at the university for free, uh, squatting, and uh, <laughs> coded the game, or a large part of it. So um, they're, all from De- they're all based in Denmark, yeah. but they were really nice guys, and I, and they really, I think they got something there. I mean, to mind, it was kind of like a really cool gauntlet. I mean, it kind of felt like that type yeah. of like creatures coming from everywhere you got to fight these guys off and um it was but it's entertaining i mean i i can tell you that everyone who walked away when they were playing after interview gave it a thumbs up yeah, yeah. every single one of them they're like this game is great when is it coming out and it is available on it's going to be available over steam on every and all clients so mm-hmm. linux mac and windows how you can pick the game up on Steam. Yeah, and it was really strange, too, because I asked him one of the things I asked him, and this is another interview you guys can uh, listen to. Uh, it's going to be posted uh, with Stephen, or Stephen. Stephen. Stephen, uh, who uh, was uh, one of the, the CEO of the company, yeah. of these guys all squatting in a <laughs> <laughs> university in Denmark. But nonetheless, I asked him, uh, where did you get the art style from? And he said, actually, they're a really huge fan of uh, Blizzard games, and they're really big fans of Diablo, and really Diablo 3 specifically. And I had more fun with this than I had with Diablo 3. I did too! <laughs> like, it's at least in terms of jumping in and, like, a five-minute window, 
I was yeah. like, wow, I, this is really fun. I could really see myself playing through this or having it as a game where Dax and I are playing and Andre's remote and we just all connect and, you know, get a couple more players and go to town. It was yeah. really, really fun. Well, and not only that, I liked their art, art style better yeah. than Diablo. Yeah. It was, it, Diablo, I liked the art style, but it's so freaking dark. You can't see half the time sometimes when you're in one of the, like, down in the dungeons. Yeah, I thought it was too bright. Really? It's too funny, yeah. I don't know. I thought that when you're in the dungeons, it's too dark. Well, when you're up in the desert deserty area, it's bright. Yeah. But I I thought that this dungeon was a lot I just thought Diablo nicer. was too, too cartoony for myself, but oh well. But it was good. I we I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. playing it a lot, so, yeah. 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 So check it out, um, and it's cool that it's, every, it's multi-platform, so... Right. Um, you don't see too many Linux, good Linux Steam games, because it's just come out for Linux. Yeah. And and you can get early access on Steam, so it's definitely one I would recommend checking out. Uh, Didn't we, was it yesterday that we we uh, hung out with uh, Jordan and the Herbrain Schemes people when we played the game? Guardian? No, that was, no, that uh, was on the first day we were there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've yeah. got all my days confused. Yeah, Friday we played Golem Arcana. Um, so, let's see. We went through the indie booth. Uh, the other game that Dax and I both played at separate times during the, the day was That Dragon Cancer. Oh my gosh, that's right. Because earlier during the Q&A with um, Mike and Jerry, Jerry said, you have to go see this. He said you have to, but he basically made reference to the fact that like there is a box of tissues next to you. Yes. And it's actually should be considered peripheral to yes. this game. And I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting destruct uh, uh, conversation on mul- multiple levels. Yes. There, whether or not it's a game, I would argue it's really not a it's game. It's not really a game. It's, it's more of a storytelling device. It's a story device. that you kind of interact with uh-huh. to, to move the story along. Um, but I can tell you when I finished playing it, and I'll, I'll put that in quotes, it definitely shifted my view from where I was at that point in, in attending the con. Oh, yes. It, because it was, I don't, I don't want to say it, it gave me a new perspective, but it definitely kind of re-grounded me. It's really hard it's to a, explain. Yeah, it's a really powerful, powerful story. Yeah. And not only is it a powerful story, the gentleman who whose story it is about his voice alone can just it's raw it's, it's very raw voice and it creates a lot of emotion yeah right off the and bat i don't want to, to ruin that for anybody that you know goes out and plays this um and you know it's the only game where you're where you finish and you stand up and the developers are there and you shake their hand and, and you then don't you, really it, say it, anything no. you just shake their hand and you kind of go back out into the con at that point. And it's it's hard. You know, there's a post today on Penny Arcade from Tycho that really kind of details his experience with it. It's it's good. It's, it's a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. It's something that if anybody ever questioned whether or not video games can be art, I would point to this and say Absolutely. it is. Um, and it's, it's, it's worth your five, ten minutes of, of time. What is it? The dragon that had cancer, right? No, it's that dragon, dragon cancer. cancer. Oh, that dragon, that cancer. dragon cancer. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's harsh. And especially, God, man, if you have a, a child. Oh, my goodness. Poof. 
it's hard. So if you actually go to thatdragoncancer.com, they have a website. Yeah, and and I recommend it. I mean, I think it's worth it just for the, the experience, just for the conversation yes. that comes after it. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. Trying to think where we were at then. So we finished that. We finally met up because I think League of Legends finally finished. <laughs> well, I was I was around the indie area. Right yeah, you, yeah, you came right around that time. I just got I got pulled into other directions. Yeah, I got I played this game. It was like Speed Runners or something like that. Actually, it was basically a like a Nintendo esque feel game, uh, where basically you have four people and they have to sprint across the side scroll sprint and overcome obstacles and the person that falls behind gets taken out of the game yeah and that keeps happening until the only one one person left then you everyone dies and you basically restart and you get like three lives it's kind right. of arcade feel but the way you can interact with the environment by like you can have like you have grappling hooks and you can do jumps and you can slide under obstacles and you can actually use your grappling hook to pull other players back and use them to pull up yeah so it was it was really cool but i mean i you just there's so there's a lot of passion on the indie floor, and so when you go through, you can see that they they just love what they've done. And they want to share it with everyone else. So right. sometimes you just get like overwhelmed, like this looks great and this looks great and this looks great. And next thing I know, I'm like, it's like an hour has mm-hmm. gone by. I'm like, all right, well the expo is about to close. Like the floor is about yeah. to close. So that's when we um, I kind of circled back up with the other guys and said, all right, well you gotta probably bounce out of here. We're getting kicked out. So. Now there was one game that you and I. Stood and stared at for a bit, which was Guns of Icarus. Yes. That didn't look bad. And it's something I think available right now, at least in beta mode. Yeah, and it's free to play. I'm not sure if it's free to play. Maybe free to play. I don't know much about it. All I know is that uh, Andre and myself, I think we were waiting for Daxa to finish that Dragon Cancer. Hmm. And we were standing by this game called Guns of Icarus. And we looked over it and it was like steampunk type vessels that were airships basically and you had somebody who had to pilot the ship and you had engineers and you had gunners so it was kind of reminiscent of like the AOL uh, AOL days where you had a a game where you all crewed a B-52 except in this case it was a steampunk airship and you fought against other steampunk airships and and fired and did all that stuff and the graphics were really good and the gameplay looked Engrossing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the Final Fantasies, like yeah. Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're you're like it's like your cloud from Final Fantasy Seven with all your buddies uh, who are basically helping man these airships, and you're just like dueling other airships. Right. And as novel as that sounds, they pulled it off pretty cool because I mean the cannons sounded like you know pirate cannons, like real live types of cannons. You can ram other ships. Uh, it was. It was very entertaining. I mean, I'm surprised they talk about different classes of airships. There was a guy that plays it a lot. I was talking with the developers. But, um, yeah, Guns of Icarus. I mean, again, you walk down that hall, you're like, brilliant. Wow, there's very creative, a lot of creative people on the planet. Yeah, and so I went to gunsoficarus.com, and they have a Play Now button. So I'm probably at some point going to check it out. Yep. It was that enough of a just visual, like, nobody from their company talked to us. Nothing really came above it. I looked at a monitor for a little bit and said, that looks fun. Yeah. Wow. So, pretty impressive. 
All right, so we left the indie booth at that point. I think we saw maybe a couple more games, but really we got out of the exhibition mm-hmm. hall and uh, eventually made our way to... Uh, tabletop? Tabletop. And we have a friend of ours, friend of the show, Ragok, who is super into War Machine. I think last year we talked about this. This year they, they brought the War Machine miniatures, and we went and uh, watched War Machine, played a little bit, um, War Machine is pretty cool. I really wish it was a little more streamlined, stream or accessible. Yeah, it, it it's is tough. It, I mean, it has the same constraints as a lot of the other miniature games. Meaning, you have to own—you don't have to own the miniatures, but you have to yeah. own miniatures. Now, I mean, and again, it depends on who you're with. Like, I love the fact that Ragok and his friends, like, they had an empty base representing one of their big, big uh, colossus colossus mm-hmm. uh, units. So that was cool because, again, to me, the people that get really hung up on like it has to be all painted exactly the same and you have to have your unit colors and all that BS. To me, it's like, look, I'm here to play the game. The strategy is what matters, not whether or not my units... I mean, I remember playing... They would kick you out with your salt shaker unit. Oh, I know. In, in, in college, I played Warhammer. I'm like, this salt, uh, salt shaker is my predator tank. And I'm like, no, this is blasphemy. Heresy. Forex heresy. Um, so, anyways, we got to play through some of that. And it's a really cool game in terms of the depth to it. There's a lot that you can do with it. Um, I liked it better than some of the things I've done with Warhammer in terms of that each unit has its kind of takes their action singularly. So you don't have to declare everything and then go from there. Like, you really can adjust your strategy on the fly. It seemed to scale very well between a small conflict and a yeah. large conflict. Um, they had scenarios, and there's a Kickstarter that already has been triple funded for a online, just uh, not online, but a computer version of it, which I think I definitely would pick up um, because I think it has a lot of depth to the strategy for it. But after playing Golem Akana, it's really hard. I looked at this game and said, this would be so much better if I had a light pen and I just had an <laughs> iPad that kind of mapped my battlefield for me and streamlined all my, my decisions. Streamlined all the stats. Yeah, all so the So you stats, didn't have to remember the, the pluses, the, the, the minuses. The radiuses the... and the measurements and all that stuff. It was like, it was just too much. Like, I need that, that, that level of like, I don't know, some people would call it hand-holding, but I'll, I'll grasp that hand gladly. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's, I have a hard time playing that depth of miniature where I have to worry about a half an inch reach versus a three quarter inch reach versus a, a blast radius of four inches versus five inches and making sure I have line of sight, which means I have to take a laser pen and actually, can I see the laser on the other side of the pen? No, yeah. too much to think about because all I care about is, you know, roll I just want to hit it. I want to roll some dice, I want to cause some damage, I want to have the game. And the problem is that, so we played Golem Arcana, I, and I thought it was done in like half an hour, it was mm-hmm. very enjoyable, and I was watching Grail play Ragok in their one-on-one match, and it felt like it took like three hours. Yeah, it took took a long time. So, I mean, if you want to sit down and, and play with one, basically play with painted guys for three hours... Albeit that's great. Yeah. But I could have three matches in the same amount of time. 
And I'm not saying that that's not fun. People really do enjoy right. the the tape measure and the and the intricacies because they are. And there's a lot of intricacy intricacies about playing that type of game. Sure. When you have to take all those factors into consideration, uh, I think that's why Ragnarok really loves that game. Um, but personally, I I just f- find it very cumbersome, and I'd rather have something do all that for me. Yeah. So I can only I have to, all I have to really think about is the moves and capability of the units. Right. And I can get really in-depth upon those and not have to worry about whether or not, well, man, I moved my guy a quarter of the inch too far to the right, which basically now wipes out like four or five of my abilities. Granted, I can see why that would be important to some people, but I personally just find it cumbersome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what I feel like is I enjoyed playing those games back when that's all I had. But because of this new technology that Hairbrain Schemes is coming up with, I feel like in the future, all those miniature games are going to be played in some sort of, some way, the same way as Gollum Arcana is. Yeah. Because I think it pushes it to it because the main thing is it still keeps the miniature. So absolutely. you still love painting and people really, really love painting. And I'm yeah. 100% for that because I think some of the models they come oh, up with are just gorgeous. Yeah. So I'm happy that it still gives them the ability to do that. They can still do all of the, the art or the creative piece of it. It just removes the crap. It just removes all the stuff where you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was a rule. Like I had a my caster, I thought his special ability was always on, and it turns out no, you have to use that one time. It's like a little iPad thing showing me that would be a lot easier than having to dig through a rule book. Now, uh, the War Machine does have an iPad app, yes, uh, which keeps track of your units, uh, some of their stuff, and like damage. So you know that that definitely for sure is a speed bonus. Yeah, it's like, but they're only partway there. Right. So. You know, don't get me wrong. I, so we, I can go on and on about why I think Golmar Cannon is going to be great. Right. But as far as War Machine goes, I think it's a really cool miniature game. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that and you really are looking to have an alternative to, let's say, Warhammer or some other miniature type games, I think it's a great place to start. For sure. Uh, has a lot of the same factionist, you know, characters and that type of thing uh, that I've seen that I really like about 40. 40k that I saw like it's really attractive initially yeah but then when you actually sit down and play it's like man it's you know that's guys or people spend like you know five hours just to play like a match yeah because it just takes that long to do all your measurements and all your stack keeping and all that stuff so yeah but you know, but part of it's just introducing your figures and like showing off how I color them and paint right. them and all that stuff, which so, is awesome. And then that's the piece I love, and I'm, I'm very happy that yeah. Golden McCrane doesn't take that piece away from. Yeah. Me. So, but really, War Machine's a very, Involved. I think, advanced, advanced version mm-hmm. of a 40k as yeah. far as the strategy goes because it gives you. It's more flexible. I maybe say advanced. More flexible is a maybe a better term to use. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a. You can use, I think I've seen a lot of people come up when we were playing just talking about it and mm-hmm. how much they liked it. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, maybe 40K fans are diehard. They spend all this money sure. doing this stuff. But give War Machine a shot, man. It's really yeah. cool. It's it's a good game, for sure. So, and, and if you're really comfortable with that, going to War Machine is going to be really easy. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, you're going to have to just maybe, maybe you'll fall in with those factions, but the fact that you can. Be able to change your actions mid or change your strategy midstream um, makes the game more adaptable, I think, to higher levels of strategy. Definitely. Yeah. And at that point, we basically closed out the uh, Olive Eight Hotel. 
Well, I came to get you guys because I wasn't there. Yes. So I was actually doing the Mountain Dew Dorito Xbox um, auction Dude thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. all this time that I was running around getting all these, you know, codes, um, they were f to bid for an Xbox One, basically. Um, and I was in the first block, and every two minutes they were going to do a auction. And I didn't have anywhere near enough. I started a day late. Yeah. Um, but the... The Xbox that went for the lowest amount of points was 6,500. I had 4,700. Right. So if I had probably just spent another, I don't know, two hours probably looking for the rest of them, um, I might have had a shot. But it was a lot of fun. I There's a lot of things that they could have done better. None of them really knew what was going on. The information they were giving people was all incorrect. Someone said one thing. Someone said something else. But I had a blast. I had a blast looking for all the QR codes and meeting all the people doing them and telling everyone else where they were. And it was fun at the auction. So it was a pretty good time, but big party. Yeah. Huge party. Yeah. Um, and then I went to meet up with you guys at the right. Elevate, and that finished off our day. And that will finish our day three wrap-up of PAX Prime 2013. I've been Grail. I've been Dexa. And I've been Andre. And we will see you on day four.